The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. All right, welcome to another episode of The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel, and as always, I'm joined by Mike, and we're going to give you a rundown and our thoughts on this week's episode of AEW Dynamite. Uh, so before we jump into that, Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good, dude. It's been a couple of weeks since I feel like we've both been uh, healthy enough to do this, so excited to get back behind these wonderful microphones we have and and give this another shot. Um, I'm It's Super Bowl week, and I'm a little, you know, my team's not in it, and none of our teams are in it, so it's just kind of, eh, but we have wrestling super fan George Kittle to make us excited, and he was on some podcasts and interviews today explaining how his first down celebration is in honor of Pentagon. And that just makes me so incredibly happy. So Sierra Miro, Meadow, whatever, I pronounced it wrong, uh, for everyone. So I just love that we have someone like him representing this niche nerdum on the biggest stage of them all. So yeah, I that's my actually, thing. This week. Uh, I might actually watch knowing that I, uh, I was talking to my dad earlier this week just talking about um tar hill basketball and he was like hey so you're gonna watch the game on sunday and i was like the tar hills play on saturday and he was like no the game like the super bowl <laughs> and i was like oh yeah that's right that's this week isn't it so uh as you know i consider the football season over as soon as my team is eliminated so uh football ended in uh i don't know mid-october November. yeah <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but, but that's always fun. And I know, um, we'll probably get together and hang out and, uh, eat some food and watch the game. So it's always a fun time and, and, uh, definitely be looking forward to that, but that gives me someone to cheer for. So I was kind of torn over whether to, to pull for the, the Niners or the chiefs. So, uh, and, and we ran into George Kittle in, uh, New York, uh, WrestleMania weekend. So, uh, that's cool too. Yeah, dude's gigantic. Dude's gigantic. He's he's one of the biggest biggest people I've seen ever in my life, and just to be rec- like acknowledged by him on the escalator was like a highlight of WrestleMania weekend. It certainly wasn't WrestleMania. It was <laughs> it was it was George Kittle, and then uh, the NJPW Super Show with Ring of Honor at Madison Square Madison Square Garden. So yeah, that that for sure. That was a lot of fun, and uh, the strongest handshake I've ever received in my life from D'Angelo Williams. <laughs> I'm uh, pretty sure I'm going to have permanent damage from that. So, well, we, we've uh, BS'd enough here. Let's get into it. Uh, we had a uh, action-packed episode of AEW Dynamite. Uh, so I'm going to give you a quick rundown from the top. So uh, leading off, we had John Moxley come out and cut a promo on uh, Chris Jericho and the Inner Circle. And uh, this was a fun segment. And then from that, we threw to uh, tag team action between the Young Bucks and and the Butcher and the Blade with MJF on commentary. Uh, The Bucks were victorious via pinfall off of a Meltzer driver. Uh, We then moved into a match in the women's division between Nyla Rose and Big Swole, uh, which was a really fun match. Uh, Swole got some good offense in. I really enjoyed that one. And uh, Nyla ended up getting the pinfall off the powerbomb, but I felt like both of them looked very good in that match. The uh, next major segment was uh, Kip Sabian, in a singles match with Cody, 
uh, which we had uh, a lot of cameos in, in that match. A lot of interesting stuff with uh, the managers, uh, Penelope Ford and Arn Anderson, and also a surprise appearance from Joey Janela, which uh, <laughs> we'll definitely talk about later on. Uh, Britt Baker delivered a promo following up on what she did on the Chris Jericho cruise. And then there was a nice backstage segment between the Elite and uh, Paige, which was a lot of fun. Um, I'm really enjoying this Paige character, and I'm sure we'll dig into that a little bit more later. There was a, another tag team match between SoCal Uncensored and the Hybrid 2, uh, which SoCal Uncensored got the win via pinfall off of the SCU later. Oh, and I think I, I overlooked this, but uh, Cody got the pinfall, of course, on Kip Sabian off of uh, three crossroads in a row. So uh, that was a little bit brutal. Um, after that tag team match between SCU and the Hybrid 2, there was a, uh, a pack vignette, uh, which I really enjoyed. And then the main event, uh, Private Party with Darby Allen taking on Proud and Powerful with Chris Jericho. Proud and Powerful and Chris Jericho getting the win off of the Judas Effect. So uh, that was the show that was quick rundown and uh mike what stood out to you from this episode yeah i think the first thing i want to touch on was uh manager mania and that cody and kip sabian match and i think it's just it was a master class in how to use a manager in your match and what i really loved was uh just the dynamic that penelope ford and kip had and just kind of setting up those spots with her interference or on the flip side flip side kip distracting the ref so penelope ford can uh, do some damage on her own so i really enjoyed that and i liked how uh this was kind of the first time we saw um the head coach thing not quite work out for them uh <laughs> i love that he has a play sheet this andy reed looking motherfucker walking out with a play sheet like it was just i saw him like oh man i wanted to get a close-up of it but uh, my my video quality was a little little crappy this evening, but uh, I liked how he got the boot, um, and kind of I think it kind of sets up the fact that Arn can get a little get a little fiery. I wonder if we'll see that come into play over the next few weeks with uh, with the build up to the match with MJF. But I just thought it was a masterclass in how you work with a manager, um, which I kind of think is a lost art nowadays, especially because the big boss man and the other wrestling company has some sort of issue with managers. You don't see him a lot anymore. So I just really like the dynamic that it bought. And it's kind of a, a nice thing to see again in 2020. Yeah, back in the early days of the Killing the Town podcast, I, I kind of learned a lot from, from listening to Don Callis talk about managers. And I really enjoyed this match. And I think managers can be such a great storytelling tool. You know, a lot of times in AEW, the story is told in the match as opposed to promos or vignettes or anything like that and this was a great example of that right from the beginning kip sabian is trying to get in arn anderson's head not really trying to get in cody's head but really trying to mess with arn because cody's been undefeated with arn at ringside and he's been that impactful coach telling cody to get the knees up or you know whatever that message is when cody needs it so it was really cool to see that Kip was focused on getting Arn out of there so that he had Cody all to himself. So uh, I think that was a really well-told story, and it developed in stages over the course of the match. And you could see Arn, who of course is 
incredible, just getting more and more frustrated throughout the course of that match. And then Penelope Ford is so sneaky, and so she's getting away with everything, and then Arn's getting more and more upset, and it was really, really great. I, I enjoyed the work they did there. A classic heel clinic from Kip Sabian, um, whether he was posing in the ring or making out with Penelope or, you know, any of the stuff that he was doing throughout that match, just really, really good stuff. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, that dynamic. Also, we have to talk about Joey Janela. We can't talk about this match <laughs> without talking about uh, the most gifable moment of the night with uh, Penelope and Kip going in for the smooch. Both of them close their eyes. And of course, who pops up in between them to get a kiss on both cheeks, but the bad boy, Joey Janela. I mean, I think this is the exact kind of thing that he needs to be doing in order to develop his character and become someone that the fans are excited to see. Um, I, I've heard a lot about Joey Janela on uh, on the indie circuit, but I haven't really seen that much. You know, most of his exposure uh, in my wrestling fandom has been through AEW. So I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more uh, of what I've heard of when it comes to Joey Janela. And I thought this match was a great start. Yeah, it was, it was very Looney Tunes-esque, which worked. I really, <laughs> I, I think it got the biggest laugh from me all night. And it was just so silky smooth and how we kind of just like, Bloop! Um, it's like Mario coming out of a, uh, a pipe. Um, I, I just thought it was really funny. Uh, and you're right. You know, what we've seen so far in with Janela and AEW is his ability to destroy his body and the hardcore matches he's had with, um, Moxley and Omega, you know, kind of showed the brutality that he can bring and the beat, you know, the punishment he can take. We haven't really gotten to see in his character. And I, I thought his promo that he cut. Uh, either on one of the last two shows was kind of uh, kind of weak, um, and I, th I think these type of antics do a little more to help build him up as a character and make him make us care about him. I that's probably going to be a match we're going to see at Revolution, Sabian versus Janela. So I thought this was a good way to continue the momentum for that, and it, I think this was just a good example of how you can build multiple storylines at once. This was a one-off kind of random match between Cody and Kip. But you managed to do two things. You managed to continue the uh, Janela, Sabian, uh, Penelope Ford uh, story. And then you got to see a little bit of what you can get from Arn Anderson on, on the side. And I really, truly think that Arn Anderson's kind of blow up tonight is going to be something that other characters try to do. You want to talk about scouting and putting together a scouting report of your opponents? And kayfabe, now wrestlers know if you want to get Cody you got to get Arn out of the picture. So, uh, you know, someone like MJF is going to try and do that in uh, four weeks time. So uh, kudos for them. And it's just a good way to keep two things going. And speaking of MJF, I mean, we can't leave out Cody sending a message to MJF through the brutality of that finish. Uh, I thought Kip Sabian did a great job of selling the crossroads. It's not a move that I really love. I think it's as a finisher, it's kind of eh, but Man, when you've got someone who sells it like that, I mean, he made it look so bad for your neck. He got all twisted up on those three crosswords that he took in a row. And then his body getting progressively more limp with each mm -hmm. one. Just some really impressive selling and ring work. Um, so I thought that was really, really well done. Anything else from, from this match that you wanted to touch on? 
Yeah, there was one moment. So I know they have the the, the in picture commercial breaks, and sometimes that can be really good. But they set up that whole spot of Kip hurting his knee, be, you know, being on the apron, taking his time during the commercial. And when it finally paid off, we did was setting up the springboard DDT. It cut it, it removed the in picture, so you no longer you didn't see the actual finish of the move. I just had to see. I think it was a Burger King commercial. I'm like, ah, son of a bitch! Like that was going to be awesome. So it's just another one of those things where they got to work on their. I'm, I'm sure this will come with time, but the timing on that commercial break, like it was such a major part of the match, and it popped up, and you had to hear Jr. basically give you a recap of what just happened because it got cut off by the freaking king. So yeah, it, those production issues seem to pop up every week, and uh, I honestly I don't know if it's something they're concerned with or not. I think they're focused on the live experience. And, you know, nothing kills a match like having two minutes of rest holds so that you can cut to commercial and nothing really happens for the live crowd while the commercial break is on. And that's something that you would see if you go to a taping for the, you know, the other wrestling company. And you don't see that if you go to an AEW show. It's action the entire time and the match has a natural flow to it. That's why their matches on weekly television resemble pay-per-view matches because there aren't those breaks that are structured in for commercials. So I kind of see both sides of it. Um, I agree that was really frustrating from a TV viewer perspective. But if you're there, if you're a part of the live experience, it makes it that much better because the matches don't have that stilted aspect to them it's a pure flow the entire time so so i kind of see both sides on that one but that's that's a good point and they do need to maybe just if you know a big spot like that's coming structure the match so that's not during that commercial time yeah or or maybe i don't know delay the commercial a little bit or tell have the ref tell them to kind of pick up the pace or something because there's plenty of people there that could have whispered in their ears saying hey Let's go, let's go. So I, it's a it's a minor thing to complain about, but I feel like it's one of those things that, you know, they've been on TV since October, you know, and they've been doing pay-per-views since, hell, last year. So I, I feel like this is stuff that they, they got to clean up. And, you know, we can talk about the gaffes that you see in the other company. Hell, you didn't see Edge's first beer on Sunday night. So it is common. It does happen uh, in, in both worlds, but it's it seems like you said, it seems to happen every week. And, you know... They just got that TV deal extended, so they're going to have a lot of time to work this stuff out. So I think that was the only one that um, really stood out to me today in terms of like bad timing or bad camera work. So just something I wanted to point out because I was so into that match. I was so into that spot during the commercial break. You know, I was really, you know, paying attention to it. And then for that to happen and you just get a Burger King commercial, I was just like, oh, so disappointing. But doesn't take away from the match as a whole. The match was awesome. Uh, I like that pairing. I I love that we they're continuing to do the the Cody uh, show off match. They've been doing this consistently since day one. Um, to kind of let them show off and work with another talent and put them over. Uh, again, reminds me of the John Cena Open Challenge from a few years ago, where everyone gets a chance to get some shine off of this big star. Um, and obviously, you got those two storylines moving in uh, pretty interesting directions. So. Yeah, overall big win for this match. What uh, 
What's that for you tonight? So uh, my stock up this week is Adam Page. You know, someone who wasn't even in a match. He probably had 45 seconds of screen time, but he produced my two favorite moments of the show in that time. So talk about maximizing what you're given. Uh, my favorite moment of the show was, you know, when he goes up to the to make the save when when the butcher and the blade are, are trying to get revenge for their loss in that match, and he's like, "Hold my beer," and <laughs> I was certain he was gonna flub the um, that clothesline that he does because you know he's selling that he's drunk. But then he nails it and then he takes his beer back and, and drinks it and spills it all over himself. But he doesn't care because, you know, he hit his big spot. And it's really fun and it's it's good development consistency because he's not got anything going on. He's not wrestling a match. So what's he doing? He's drinking backstage. It's consistent with this kind of character that they've been building for him. And then it's also a really interesting meta storytelling thing because in you know, as a shoot, the Bucks don't drink. Kenny doesn't drink. So Paige, out of the four of them, is the only one who drinks. And so it's kind of fun that they're working that into the kayfabe story. And then it was continued in the backstage segment with the four of them when Paige comes out and, and drunkenly offers the Young Bucks their nameplates for the tag belts <laughs> that they haven't won yet because he swiped them when they got the nameplates put on. And uh, I just really love that. And I think he's he's putting on such a fun character. And going back to, you know, the work that I'd seen him do in, in Ring of Honor, character was like the thing that was lacking. So to see him develop in this way and show me things that I haven't seen before from him is really exciting in terms of his future. He was someone coming in that I thought could be a huge star for this company. And I'm glad that he's getting to try some things out and develop and grow as a talent. Well, I can't wait for the inevitable being the elite intervention that they're going to do for him. Um, feels like something now. <laughs> I feel like that's something the other company would do, but uh, I, I like how it's kind of extending this storyline because uh, we, we both believe that this is inevitably going to end with Paige turning or leaving the elite at some point. Um, but right now that's the kind of the furthest thing from my mind. Cause it's kind of just what's drunk Adam Paige going to do this week, you know? So, and yeah, the, the real life version of hold my beer <laughs> was, was pretty great. And, uh, I, I kind of wanted him to attempt it with the beer in hand. Uh, maybe we'll just see him try in more and more goofy drunk shit as we go along. Uh, drunk cowboy shit. But uh, I like I like Kenny kind of being the peacekeeper, continuing to be the peacekeeper between the factions. Um, looking pretty uh, pretty strong in that pink polo of his. Um, so I, I, I don't know when we're going to get that Young Bucks Omega... Uh, page tag match for the titles that they were kind of dancing around teasing you know tonight but i feel like if that's at revolution if that's even at double or nothing i trust them now to to stretch this story out where maybe a few weeks ago i was a little nervous of where this was going so um just another kind of props to creative and and uh what they're doing there 
I think it's fun stuff. And, you know, we, we found out that next week we're going to get an eight-person tag match that's going to feature the Young Bucks, Adam Page, and Kenny Omega on one side. So this is a great opportunity to continue this story that they're telling. And it could be a, a, an opportunity to set up a match between those two teams. But they're definitely teasing it. They're definitely taking their time, long-form storytelling. And I really enjoy uh, what I'm seeing from that. Yeah, I about, wonder, um, oh, well, one thing, I know we keep thinking that it's going to be the, the page turns on the elite. Mm-hmm. Is it out of the out of the realm of possibility that maybe Kenny starts to slip too and, and maybe not down the alcoholic path that Paige is doing, but maybe we, we get a heel run of Paige and Omega's tag team. I, 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 what I love about AW so far is I, I can't really guess, and I haven't written really, you know, a lot of my predictions or or ideas of where storylines were going haven't necessarily turned out the way I thought. So one, that's exciting. And and two, I think that opens up the possibility of weirder stuff like this happening. So probably not going to go down that way, but that would certainly be an interesting twist uh, for them to throw at us. I mean, I definitely think it's within the realm of possibility. They're creative storytellers. And I think they're teasing that Paige is going to turn and he's kind of quasi left the elite. And, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what a heel Kenny Omega would look like. And so, you know, obviously when he was in New Japan, he worked heel for the Japanese audience and he was kind of treated as a babyface by the North American fans. Um, but I think it would be interesting to see in AEW what he could look like as a heel. And this is a good opportunity to explore that if they want to go that way. The great thing is there's that seed of doubt. So regardless of which way it goes, it's going to feel like a surprise because you could talk yourself into Kenny turning just as easily as you can talk yourself into Adam Page turning. And that leads to a scenario where there's that question in the back of the audience's mind at all times, where is this going to go? And and that's the best thing about wrestling is when you don't know, when you truly don't know what's going to happen next and something surprising happens, you get that swerve, you get that great experience of, uh, seeing something that you just didn't see coming. So I, I definitely feel like there's potential for that there. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Yeah, it kind of keeps all all avenues open, which is always good because in case something changes or the fans start to react differently, you can always go down a different path if you need to. Um, and something that stuck out to me tonight uh, was our friendly neighborhood dentist, Britt Baker, uh, I think I've been critical of her in the past, like especially when she was on commentary early in the year. I just didn't buy uh, her promos. I didn't buy her her speaking ability. Well, this week and last week, definitely a major shift for me, in my opinion, of Britt Baker. I really enjoyed her uh, four or five minutes on stage, kind of taking control of, uh, man, going toe-to-toe with, Tony Schiavone and uh, and Jr. You know those are two pretty legendary mic workers in this business, and some of the stuff she said were just really funny, um, and it was convincing. And, and that's the thing I think I've been missing from her is I'd never felt that this was truly her, or this was truly you know what the confidence behind it. And I just feel like she she's been doing that the last two weeks, and uh, I, I like the part. Excuse me, I'm a dentist, like. When everyone forgets to mention that, uh, it's like the joke from The Hangover, where I'm a, I'm a doctor. No, you're a dentist. It's just it, it's a it's a good little bit by her, um, and, and I loved her calling um, 
JR out. Like you get this large pay paycheck while we're doing all the work. I love that. She says uh, about I'm on the billboards on the posters. I'm here each week. My smile beaming across your television set, which is more than we can say about Rio. Cause we're all thinking why that, where the hell is Rio every single week. So I just thought this was a really good uh, promo from her. And then the, the kill shot at the end, congrats, Cleveland. You finally have a baker. You can trust like poor, poor Mayfield. He's just been getting passed over and, and kind of disrespected here the last couple of weeks and a bunch of different mediums, but just, just a really solid, nice heel promo from Brit. And I think this is something the women's division needs. Uh, I don't feel like they've had, truly someone who can take the mic and just drop bombshells on the other women. So definitely a, a big step, not only for Britt Baker, but for the women's division in general. Yeah. I, th- I think it was a, a big step up from the promo that she cut on the Jericho cruise, which felt a little flat to me, um, but that partially might've been the crowd not really reacting very well. That was a weird crowd. The folks who yeah. were on that boat, whereas the Cleveland crowd, man, she had heat. It yes. was, you know, yes, did. that was napalm going off in that arena. So it was, it was pretty serious stuff. And who'd have thought that the way to get heat was to go after Jr. and Tony Schiavone? I mean, that's just <laughs> kind of surprising. Commentary is something that gets hated on so much, and Jr.'s commentary in particular, you know, just catches a lot of flack from the fans. So, uh, but apparently, that's not enough for for them to not boo and react when you go after those folks. So, I mean, they are legends, so I get it, but. I thought it was a big step up, and I think that having a defined persona is going to be very helpful for her. Um, She had been saddled with this kind of tweener position where she was kind of, by default, a babyface, but then doing some heelish things like calling out the champion and... Uh, and, and Rio obviously is working babyface. So then you position yourself against this babyface character, but then you're also kind of a babyface. It just puts you in weird territory and it's hard to create an identity for your character when you're in that kind of zone. So I thought that um, going out and out heel is definitely a good move. And I think it, it, it signals uh, a better future for, for her in AEW than that kind of weird tweener position she was in before. Yeah, it's definitely a good fit, and we definitely need we needed us we need more women in the division to kind of get the opportunity to sh- build the characters, not just in the ring but in segments like this. So, uh, I I definitely think this is a step to establishing Britt Baker as one of the bigger heels in the women's division. I'm sure right now you could probably say it's Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, and Brandy and Awesome Kong, you know, um, but we haven't really seen. Awesome Kong as much as uh, I think I thought we would have. So, uh, and I I feel like this is a, a step in the right direction. Obviously, we need to we need to get more of these characters established. Um, and that kind of goes into the big swole, uh, Nyla Rose match, which I thought was pretty good. You know, it, it was another one of those random, what's the point kind of matches, but it helped establish Nyla Rose as this true dominant number one contender while giving uh, Big Swole the opportunity to shine, um, get some spots in, um, I really, I, you know, we, we, we shit on commentary a lot, but I really liked them pointing out that usually Big Swole has the, the strength advantage. Um, you know, so this was like going to be a different type of match for her. Uh, so overall, I think they had a, a pretty solid match. Um, I need to, I want to see more Big Swole as we, as we're, as we keep moving forward. And if we're going to get Nyla Rose and Rio, 
at uh, Revolution. I feel like that's a pretty good uh, women's title match that you can feature here over the next few weeks. Yeah, there were a couple of things that really stood out to me from that that match between Nyla and Swole. Uh, one of which was uh, Big Swole's offense is really impressive. She has some great strikes in her repertoire, and she's clearly got some creativity as well. That Casadora into the flatliner um, right over by the ropes, that was a really cool and impressive move and something that you don't expect to see in, in that kind of spot. So um, I can't remember ever seeing a flatliner out of a Casadora before, so... Um, I enjoyed that. And then the other thing is I'm really impressed with how Nyla moves around the ring. It's just a really unique style. Uh, when she was going for a shoulder tackle, she kind of did a, a, a it's not, not a three-point stance, but she kind of jumped in place and then kind of took off. It was really interesting to see, and it was a cool visual dynamic. I like when wrestlers have an interesting and unique way of moving around the ring. Um, I think you could say the same thing about Darby Allen. I think you could say the same thing about Nick Jackson. Uh, they just move differently from everybody else, and it's cool because it, it gives them that added aspect of their personality. So uh, that match was fun. I thought it was a really good showing, and I thought it was one where both competitors come off looking good. Uh, Nyla's in an interesting position because she's definitely doing heelish things, but her ability to absorb the offense of the other competitors and almost work as, as from below for most of the match and then come up with a big move and win out of nowhere, I think is going to give her some big baby face potential. So uh, obviously she's working heel now, but in the future, she could have a great run chasing the title as the baby face with the crowd behind her, which is a difficult spot to be in when you're, you know, the big competitor, like how often has Big Show been a baby face? Not all that often. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see. And I think there's a lot of potential there. I just hope they don't fall into the, the mistake of what the other company did by having them switch roles so often. How many times did Nia Jax flip-flop between heel and face over the last two years like yeah it's, it seemed like every other week and I, I know that's a unique body type to have for the division so it can can work having them play face or heels so i just hope they stay consistent with it one thing from the match i so naya naya rose is is so big and so strong i wish some of her moves had more impact so she hit that spear at the end and i don't know if that was a mistiming but it just looked so weak, so incredibly weak for someone that big and strong. And then on the power bomb, I've noticed this the last couple of times is sometimes she has trouble getting them up for the power bomb. I don't know if that's just maybe not getting enough help from your partner in that scenario or what, but uh, I definitely, I definitely want to see more um, oomph behind some of these moves and those, those last two, the spear and then the sit down power bomb for me. I definitely it definitely left something lacking um, for my taste, but uh, and and I've noticed this before with her too. Now, when she's doing some of the spots where she's putting people through tables and she's just using people as weapons, looks great. She looks so strong, but in some of these one-on-one matches where she she hits some of these moves, I'm just like, ugh, I expected more. I think it's actually good in some of these smaller matches to to have that because then you have an extra gear that you can go to when the match is more meaningful. So if everything is at full speed, full impact, 
on a match with basically no stakes on a random episode of Dynamite, then it looks the same when you do it when you're in a big match on a pay-per-view. So if you kind of save that a little bit and you have that extra gear you can go to, which we've seen from her before in bigger matches, then, you know, I think that's something that actually serve you pretty well. You know, every super kick that Shawn Michaels threw wasn't sweet chin music. So it, it's, there's a difference in degree between those moves. And, and I think there's a little bit of that that could be going on. She's got a fair amount of experience prior to AEW. So it wouldn't surprise me if she's, holding back on purpose but i agree it does look a little bit weak sometimes and i definitely have noticed the struggles to get people up for the power bomb or at least it that's how it looks i don't know if that's functionally true or accurate but it definitely looks that way yeah i guess for me when you're trying to because they're trying to build her build her up as this unstoppable monster type thing i just kind of would expect that to be turned on all the time you know this is your showcase to show how big and strong and powerful you are. Let's see it. It's kind of like for the first couple months of Braun Strowman's career, he was just destroying people. Um, so it's definitely, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And um, uh, I want to point out one other cool spot from this match. And it's just, once again, it, it goes to how smooth Big Swole moves around the ring. She did this cutter through the middle rope that just looks so absolutely clean. And I know we see a lot of cutters in AEW, probably probably more so than anything else right now. If if Ring of Honor was the super kick central, uh, we're in cutter mania here in AEW. But I just really liked how that cutter looked. And I'm really enjoying how all these other wrestlers are pulling the cutter out of nowhere. I think Santina hit one rolling uh, tonight. And of course, you have the Cody cutter that he does now. Um, it's just one of those moves that you can kind of pull out of nowhere, trademarked. But uh, I just really, really enjoyed that spot from Swole. And I'd like to see her get some more airtime and get a chance to really show off her, you know, the character that goes with all these cool moves and kind of hyper athleticism. Um, so there was a lot to like from this episode. Uh, and there were a couple of things that didn't really work for me. So something I wanted to talk about was the, uh, the opening promo. I enjoyed Moxley's promo and I felt like everything went, downhill from the moment Chris Jericho came out and I mean I, I love Chris Jericho and I, I really like what he's done so far and the character that he's created but it was just a miss for me like a total swing and miss and Mox's whole you know I've got all these fans in the arena behind me it's like yeah but you're still one dude they're not gonna jump the rail and actually help you in this fight and then Everybody came out of this segment looking like a jabroni. Like, yes. Everybody. Because you, you then have five extra random dudes come out and, <laughs> you know, thugs from the Bronx. And it's like, really? We're going to, we're going to pull, like, that just doesn't feel good. And I, I don't know. As a more progressive wrestling company that, that AEW purports to be, this just felt really tone deaf to be like, yeah. oh yeah, we got street thugs from the Bronx. And then they come out and their only job is to just get hosed by Moxley in this weird start and stop, not even a pull apart, but just like, you know, in in uh, NBA circles, Jalen Rose likes to talk about the, uh, the hold me back 
situation <laughs> where it's like you don't actually want to get in a fight you just want someone to hold you back so it looks like you're trying to get in a fight and that's what this reminded me of I mean, it's just it was a hot mess and and thankfully the show picked up and everything after that was better but man that whole segment just felt weak and derivative and i, I did not enjoy it after jericho came out yeah it oh God, jesus it was <laughs> It was a mess. One, you don't need a pull apart for a 10 on one. Two, Moxley ended up retreating anyways. So it made him like, oh yeah, 10 to one. I like those odds. He went very Mandalorian on us. And then he did nothing with it and he ran into the crowd. So, and, and some like, usually Jericho is pretty good at the insults. Jack Sparrow, yo, yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of dumb. Like, come on, dude, you're better than that. Because you're stupid. Because you're, you're stupid. Like, it was so bad. And I'm like, come on, he looks like he looks like a, a knockoff Nick Fury. That'd be better than freaking Jack Sparrow. And it's just oh it was it was really bad. And but uh, on the on the good side, you know, everything he said before then was really good. The Moxley um promo I thought was really, really good. You know, Jericho is the the final object that stands between me and the top of the mountain. Jericho is the type of man who coordinates 5-1 beatdown. I love that they they pulled in some other company kayfabe too, with the man who stole Ray's mask and the man who punched a woman. Like that Shawn Michaels storyline was like a decade ago, and it was amazing. He had a really good line where it says, Because it's not the man you are, it's the kind of man you're not. And I just really enjoyed the framing of that promo. And then boom, Jericho comes out, and the rest of the segment is just ruined. Um, and even his like calling out the crowd typical cleveland idiots cleveland doesn't deserve it just it didn't hit um and something weird when did the inner circle get their own theme music is that uh that that, we've heard that before have we uh yeah it's it's not brand new it's kind of been unusual to hear it because everybody has their own theme music but there have been one or two times previously where they've come out as a group and they've played that inner circle music. I, I know I had heard it before, and I know I had seen the Tron video before. So yeah, uh, it, it's but, just but yeah, weird it, it does me. feel weird. It was weird to me because they came out to it together at the beginning of the show, but they didn't come out for it during the six man tag at the end. They they both and I know there there's some uh, viral stuff right now with Jericho's theme song and the fans singing it. You know, there's like a sing-long video that AEW posted, so I know they're trying to lean into that. If you're going to do that, then just use Jericho's music, you know? Like, it's okay. Like, I think when didn't Legacy always use Randy Orton's music when they came out as a trio? Like, I think it's okay. I don't know. I wasn't watching then. Yeah, if you just stick with with Jericho's theme. So that that was kind of weird. But yeah, I I don't... No one came out looking good after that segment. Um, I really really thought we were going to get Ohio versus everyone. Coming for the save, and I know Sammy Callahan is in a uh, uh, impact, but with all the emphasis on Ohio, I was just like, "Oh shit, we're gonna get some OVE because Moxley's gonna need some allies in this feud." Which brings us to the main event, where he just got three allies based off the actions of the Inner Circle. The Inner Circle just won that match, said, "Hey, we're good, celebrate and leave." Do you think? think they would want to team up with moxley next week because moxley's kind of been this lone ranger but with moxley coming out and making the save it kind of galvanizes the other three potentially help moxley in the build-up to this match so 
I thought that was interesting where at the beginning of the show, it showed Moxley had no one on his side, that he was willing to go 10 to 1. He doesn't care if he gets the shit kicked out of him. To the end of the night, it looks like the odds might be a little closer now on a 5 to 4 instead of a 5 to 1. So I thought that was a positive of the inner circle Moxley arc tonight. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I think there's there's the challenge of if you want Mox to have this hero's story, it kind of works better for him to be on his own. So, you know, overcoming the odds, having to deal with all this controversy, I think that's better and makes him look stronger than if he just kind of wins because he has buddies come out to even the odds. You know, that's not necessarily the story that I want them to tell with Moxley. And if that's the direction they decide to go, that's fine. But I don't want Moxley joining the elite or becoming a white meat baby face. Like part of what's made this Moxley character good is that he is still edgy and weird. And, you know, he's got his kind of crazy tendencies to him. So if that ends up being a thing this upcoming week and maybe the week after, but it, it you know, goes away after that, I don't want, you know, him to have a second in his corner at Revolution. I want it to be Moxley standing alone going against the inner circle. I guess when you use, when, when you talk about how much you hate bullies, I feel like you, you kind of lose that badass edge because that sounds like such a white meat baby face thing to say. Especially when it's talking about I look in the mirror and I, I follow a code and I have an honor. Like, it definitely feels like <laughs> that's not something this badass loner would say. It's not like he's going to have Darby Allen or Private Party in his corner at Revolution. I just think it could be something where, you know, when if the odds are not in his favor next week, Darby comes out, Private Party comes out, sets up an eight-man tag down the line. Maybe you show that his allies aren't strong enough and they get beat up and they get cast to the side anyways. But um, I felt like that was the kind of the the story they were going with because it was such an emphasis on the odds being out of Dean's favor to him coming out with the sting bat. Um, Dean? God! Ah! John Moxley coming out with the sting bat. Maybe we shouldn't do this so late at night. My brain's not working right right now. Um, but coming out, it'll with be sting- better when you're not sick. Yeah, that too. Uh, sting, sting coming out with the Moxley bat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it just felt like that's the story they were trying to uh, to 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 tell tonight. And I maybe it's not the best way to go, but I like how they did it. If that makes sense, like if you're gonna go down this route, that was a very good way to show Moxley's no longer alone in this fight. Sure. I mean, I think that's a possibility. And if he gets saved from a future ass kicking by members of of private party or members of the elite or Darby Allen, I'm totally fine with that. I just want him to maintain being a lone wolf and and being out there by himself. I want a little less John Cena and a little more Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, that's that's kind of what Moxie's been up to this feud. So be interesting to see where they go from here. Speaking of Austin 316, we had some awesome MJF on commentary tonight during the Young Bucks match with the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny. Uh, they referenced how they're good Catholic boys, and MJF said the only reference they get is Austin 316. So I thought that was that was really interesting. And I had trouble 
focusing on the match because I wanted to listen to what MJF had to say. So like I had to keep switching my brands because I don't really focus on commentary all that much during the match. But uh, once again, our awesome MJF moment. I don't know how to swim, Tony. It's not funny. Like I just loved him screaming at Tony as soon as he sat down. Swimming is for two people, poor people and fat people wearing shirts. And Tony has to wear two, three layers when he's in a pool. I'm like, oh, Tony's just getting shit on by everyone tonight. Um, but I thought that match was uh, r- told a really good story. And I'm loving that we're getting to see my my boys, the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny on TV consistently. And I kind of wanted to see him get a win, but I feel like as paid guns, it's okay if they lose as long as they're, they're inflicting some pain. So uh, I just want to see them on TV as much as possible. I'm so high on them right now. And commentary did a good job of selling that that's what they were there to do, right? Their goal wasn't necessarily to win the match. Their goal was to do some damage. Um, I'd also like to throw some props to Allie, um, yep. the bunny. I mean, she is a really good manager. And um, I, I know I had said before that I, I was disappointed that she was in a managing role because I want to see more of her in the women's division actively wrestling, but um, she's doing such a good job as a manager and she does all the little things. Something that drives me nuts with managers, and you'll see this a lot in the other wrestling company, is they're just kind of there. You know, they, yep. they kind of walk around on the outside and they, if they don't have their spots, that they're specifically involved in, then they're not really engaged in what's going on in the ring. You know, maybe they'll, they'll smack the apron during a tense moment or something, but they're not reacting to everything that's happening. Uh, Allie was reacting to everything that was happening in that match Mm -hmm. and uh, vocally reacting to some things running around on the outside and just being really active as a manager. And that's really important because if you want to get over that, this is a character that is involved with and cares about these two other characters and their success in the ring, then you need to appear engaged on screen. So uh, I thought that she did a really good job and uh, I'm excited to see more from the butcher and the blade moving forward. Yeah. And I I like the little, uh, the quick vignette before the match too, where it shows, uh, (laughs) it literally shows MJF walking into a butcher shop with, with, uh, Waldo, Wardorf, Wardorf, Waldorf. Wardlow. Wardlow. <laughs> what a stupid name. Anywho, um, walking into the butcher shop and handing him the envelope and then the reveal that the envelope says Young Bucks. Like, I kind of like the contract killer side of them. And I, I'm i curious to see if we'll see uh, other wrestlers go down that route, hiring the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny. I'll just, Cody just writes him a bigger check. You know, that's one way to get around. I can't put my hands on you, but. Uh, it's definitely they're they're a fun group of uh, characters and but I just really enjoy what they they bring as a as a trio and yeah it, we this is like the fifth time we've mentioned how good the managers have been I can't remember the last time other than some Paul Heyman stuff where I've been like man oh Selena Vega Vega is an awesome manager but um it's just been a, a breath of fresh air and I really enjoy that they're reincorporating you know this into you know our wrestling fandom. And I love that we have some factions, which, you know, we don't usually see as much in the other wrestling companies. So it's not quite NJPW level where there's like 12 of them and everyone's associated or affiliated with a group. But I like that we have some some prominent groups in the uh, the company because you could look at MJF, uh, his big buddy, Wardlow, 
Wardlow, yes. Uh, and then Triple B as kind of a, a little mini faction right now, too. So um, just big positives uh, with what they're doing in those areas. I think there are definitely factions forming and it's more fluid, right? So you might be in a faction for this moment, right? And the factions are more centered around those figureheads, those leaders. So the elite, of course, are kind of centered around Cody. Um, and then you have the inner circle, of course, who are centered around Jericho. And then you have this kind of uh, motley faction that's uh, centered on MJF. So you've got these three different disparate groups that, um, you know, maybe you're associated with them this week, but not the next week, but it's done in a way that makes sense. So it's not jarring. Uh, Those lines are kind of blurred and people can move in between them as it suits the storytelling. And then of course you have the Dark Order who are kind of off screen doing their recruitment stuff and just being generally menacing. So, you know, I, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to shelve them a little bit in terms of in-ring action until they're ready to debut whoever the supreme leader is going to be uh so there's a lot going on and I, I i agree i really like the faction aspect of it and it makes every match feel like it matters a little bit more because you're either in one of these groups who's gaining momentum or you're a free agent that maybe one of these groups wants to incorporate and pick up, even if it's just for a week, you know, come in and help out in this moment, like Darby Allen did with Cody when he had to face off with the Butcher and the Blade the first time. So uh, definitely some some good work there. And um, I really enjoyed that match. It's good when it's natural. It, it was weird when they had all the recruitment storylines going on at the same time with the Nightmare Collective and the Dark Order and the... Um, inner circle trying to get moxley to join so those were yeah it was kind of grown inducements like hey join us but when you have these situations where they kind of fluidly because yeah i like in same thing with like dustin rhodes like he he helps cody out but you know you don't have to see him every week to know oh yeah he's affiliated with this group and kind of and like you said darby allen kind of sliding in with cody for a bit we know he's aligned with cody we know he's friends with cody go out and do his own thing when he's not you know directly involved in the uh the elite storyline so it's definitely felt more natural the last couple weeks um which i think was something we all wanted after the the jokes they were making about the recruitment storylines yeah so um i think there's there's one more thing that we definitely need to spend a little time talking about which was that huge main event between uh private party with darby allen and proud and powerful with chris jericho a uh, really big match, a lot of cool spots in that one. Uh, something that struck me right away as soon as the match started, I looked around at the six competitors and I went, huh, Chris Jericho is the biggest guy in the ring. That is weird. You know, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really come across in singles matches because it's like, okay, he's bigger than one other guy. No big deal. But you've got six professional wrestlers in this match and Jericho's the biggest one, and that's just wild. Like, yeah, it, it really speaks to the size disparity between AEW and the other wrestling companies that are out there, and, and not just WWE, but but other companies as well that have some bigger guys. Um, I, I know I've heard rumors that uh, Brian Cage is going to be coming to AEW, and he's someone who could add some much needed bulk to that mm-hmm. roster literally 
The man is enormous. <laughs> and uh, I'd be really interested to see what he could do and, and where he would slot in. Um, I think there's obviously he's an amazing talent. Um, lucky enough to have seen him in person a few times. Um, so I, I think it, there's a lot that could happen there. But but back to this main event. Um, I thought this was the first time that the Judas effect actually looked good. Yes. Uh, what did so you think? Clean. It was out of literally out of nowhere. I thought the match was going to keep going and just bam, knock the knock Cassie the hell out. Um, it it also like. I know they tried to build it up as kind of this like out of nowhere devastating move, but uh, it hasn't looked this good um, the other times he's used it. So I was, I literally wrote, holy shit, that was the best looking Judas effect I think we've seen. And I don't know if that is just, he's gotten more time to practice it, you know, with training. Maybe it just had to be Cassidy just sold the hell out of it too, or was this in the right position and they have good chemistry, but it looked great, and it's the first time where it has looked devastating. You know, um, the first time with Hangman Page, it was like, okay, yeah, it kind of felt a little anticlimactic. This felt like it was explosion, and unfortunately, it was Cassidy's face that had to take it. Yeah, I mean, it looked brutal, and I think it's just a matter of he's done it enough times now. People have seen it, and. So you know how to react and how to sell it. He's getting better at throwing it. They're getting better at taking it. Uh, I think as much as I have crapped on the Judas effect as a move, because it's like, woohoo, it's a spinning back elbow. Like, that just doesn't look that devastating in the course of a wrestling match and all the things that we see. But I think... Um, it has some potential to actually become something. And as with everything in pro wrestling, you do it enough times, you give it that significance and guys sell it and put it over, then it starts to take on a life of its own. I mean, Hulk Hogan won with the big boot and the leg drop forever. And, you know, John Cena's five knuckle shuffle or the people's elbow, like these are not moves that are particularly impressive or should carry very much weight. But they do. And so I think knowing wrestling and knowing how this works, it's got potential. Um, I still think there's more work to be done if it consistently looks that crisp and that good. And to your point, ended a match that seemed like it could have kept going. I think there's a lot of room for that to become a major part of Jericho's legacy in terms of the moves that he's associated with. Yeah, it, it like you mentioned, we we're, we got to be conditioned to it. We got to be conditioned to know this will end matches. This will, and I think maybe one thing that helped too is Cassidy's a, a smaller guy than him. You know, it was kind of weird when he was doing to Hangman because he, you know, or attempted to do to Hangman because he kind of had to go up. You know, because Hangman is taller than Jericho. I would just love to see Jericho try to hit that on like Hager or a Kane. You know, like those guys would have to already be down on a knee for him to nail them with it. And maybe that's something you need for the bigger guys. Maybe you got to set them up in a way, you know, drop, kick the knees, get them on the ground, get them against the ropes or something. So they're at the level where he can just unload it on someone like that. So it looked good. Uh, I thought this was just a really fun match. Um, it, it started with maybe only 15 minutes left on the, on the show, 13 minutes, le- 17 minutes left on the show, something like that. So it was definitely, uh, the pace was definitely exciting. It needed to be that way because they weren't given as much time as I thought they would have. Um, 
and just continuing our conversation from a few weeks ago, Mark Quinn looks incredible. I love everything he does. He's um, just so fun. Yeah, he's and he the that kind of twisting flip he does over the ropes always looks good. He pulled that out tonight too. Um, and then Darby did uh, kind of a uh, what did he? Yeah, Darby uh, did this crazy Hurricane Rana after he got flipped by Ortiz. And then he kicked her like it was just really, really cool tag team spots. I think we talk about this every week, how good the tag team wrestling is, is in this company. And I'm like every week I usually point to a tag team match as one of my favorites. And there was just some crazy awesome spots here. Um, like I said, it, it, it felt like it could have gone even longer. And I also was impressed with kind of the brutality of the post-match attack. You know, it wasn't just, hey, we're going to, you know, punch him and kick him out of the ring. You know, it was uh, whipping him with the belt, uh, you know, whipping Quinn with the belt, the skateboard to Darby's gut, and then the throat, you know, spot where they, they slam the throat down. That was brutal. Skateboard. Yeah. I usually see that with like a steel chair, but I don't remember the last time I've seen that. Um, so it was just, it. the reason I thought it, it, it brings credence to the Dean has damn it, Moxley has allies now, is because of how brutal and personal those attacks seem. Um, but it definitely was a, you know, the, from the brutality of that juice effect to the post-match beatdown, it was a pretty intense few minutes there. And I thought they were just going to walk up the stage and call it a night, and then just see him like, no. Nah. And they just run back into the ring and commence with the beatdown. Yeah, really fun stuff. I was also struck by how... Darby Allen being in the main event just felt right. Yep. Like he, he just should be out there to close shows and he's so compelling and so interesting to watch. And I don't want him to get overexposed. Like I don't need a Darby Allen match every week, um, but I do really enjoy when I get them. There's just some amazing action in this match and uh, so much fun from so many different characters. I thought Ortiz toned down his cartoonishness a little bit. Yep. Um, it's still there. He still did the kind of um, cartoony bobblehead spot selling a kick to the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it really felt better. And then, of course, Santana's an incredible worker. Um, and we got to see some really fun stuff from Mark Quinn. Mark Quinn is quickly becoming one of my favorite workers in the entire company. I think he has so much potential. Obviously, he's a great tag team wrestler, uh, but he's got such great stamina. Uh, I think he could make it work as a singles competitor as well. Such a compelling offense and, and great moveset. I think Isaiah Cassidy sells a little bit better than Mark Quinn. Um, of the two of them, but uh, Mark Quinn's just so much fun to watch, especially when he gets going. Reminds me of Nick Jackson. I mean, the, just the way he can string together offense, really fun moves, really high energy. Uh, so I, I thought this one was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, my only negative is there was a, before the match, they kind of panned out to the crowd and this person had a flip phone taking a video of the entrance. I'm just like, Come on, Ohio. You, you need you, you got to do better than that. A flip phone and you sure it wasn't one of those folding smartphones. No, I I rewound it because I was like, the hell is that? <laughs> like, I, I literally <laughs> I literally had to pause and go back because I saw this freaking flip phone. Um, but on the flip was side, was it at least a razor? 
No, it was, it looked like something you would like if you were a drug dealer and like you're watching Breaking Bad. It looked like a burner. <laughs> like, like it, it was weird. It completely threw me off. But then I was like, huh, Jericho's in the main event. Jericho's world champion. What year is it? You know, that, that's, that's mid 2000s, you know, all over again. So um, maybe that did, fan is just going method. Maybe, maybe. Uh, what I did like is Jericho wearing the Puerto Rico banner, the bandana. Um, I just like how he always does something weird like that when he's teaming with these guys. And I guess I, 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 I remember I watched AEW the last few weeks. I just, I didn't, I don't know if I noticed he's wearing a white belt now that says La Champion. And, oh yeah. He's been wearing that for a while. Yeah. And I, I just kind of like that. He just, he'll just be this like Mega Man S character where he just steals something from every opponent that he has. So he got the white belt from Cody. He's got this, uh, Puerto Rico bandana from, uh, Pride and Power, Pride powerful pride pride and powerful proud and powerful proud and powerful proud and powerful man i am just slipping up tonight um i and if he beats moxley maybe he'll start wearing an eye patch or you know <laughs> like i just i kind of i kind of just wanted to see the adam the like you know it's like a little trinket from your down opponent um you know so, so it, it, <laughs> it's it's worth noting like it's, it's a it's a bandana it's a puerto rico bandana but Adam Page also wears a bandana. Adam Page, previous victim of Chris Jericho. So there, we, there you go. The theory know, continues. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there, and that would be an interesting wrinkle if he just started incorporating things from people that he's beaten in high profile matches. I, I would be down for that. That's a lot of fun. Well, um, do you remember uh, Luke Harper used to do that? Whenever he beats someone, he put their patch on his like flannel jacket, so and then like he had like a cross through it, so like. I remember he beat Dan Ambrose, Dean Ambrose, so there was a Dean Ambrose patch on his jacket when he came to the ring after that. So, um, just you know, I, I, who, maybe it's just me connecting some weird dots, but it, it was pretty interesting and funny when I noticed that. But uh, I, I think it helped him look even bigger, if that makes any sense. Just the weight belt on him. I've always noted that with Cody is that he kind of looks like a, like he's a little bigger when he wears that. Maybe it was because he was fighting a bunch of small guys today. And, you know, maybe we just need Jericho and Marco Stunt to give us a 60-minute Broadway. Um, <laughs> but I, he definitely has the size. And I think that we, we always talk about body diversity. And I think right now we, we, you know, they have Hager, but we've never seen him. I don't think he's had a match yet. And he is for sure the biggest guy in the company. And after him, it's probably what, Luchasaurus? You know, so yeah, I think it, it's between Luchasaurus and um, and Jake Hager for who who's the biggest because Luchasaurus is is pretty daggone big, um, but but yeah, beyond that, I mean, there's a steep drop off after those two in terms of size, um, in terms of girth. You've got Evil Uno; he's he's pretty large, yeah, but not that tall. So um, yeah, they definitely need. I mean, I say need. Need is a really strong word. I would like to see them bring in some bigger guys just for the contrast. You know, yep. you've got a lot of middle of the road kind of guys in terms of their their stature. And then you've got some really small people. Um, so, you know, fill out that continuum and let's bring in some, some bigger guys. Uh, you mentioned Luke Harper. I think Luke Harper would be a great addition to the roster. Someone who yep. can absolutely go in the ring and can be really interesting as a character as well. So 
you know, maybe they bring someone like a Luke Harper in. Obviously, like I said, Brian Cage would be amazing. Um, So we'll see what happens in the future. Well, there's some rumors, too, that like Matt Hardy is the leader of the Dark Order. He's 6'2". He'd be one of the taller people in that company as well. You know, he's not that much smaller. He might even be taller than Jericho for all I know. So um, they definitely, definitely could use it. And uh, Luke Harper, I can't wait for his. I think he has a 90-day no-compete clause. But if he is not, if he has not signed a contract already with AEW to join, I'd be pretty shocked because I think he's, I think he has to potentially be a pretty big star based off of how AEW works because we know he can do fast pace. We know he can do some uh, big man dominant presence type stuff. And you said you need it just for the contrast. I think we need it for just there's some natural storylines that you can't do when you don't have bigger people. Um, you know, we see that with Nyla Rose, you know, the having it that fatal four way from a few weeks ago. We got to team up to be, defeat the biggest person. Um, you just you can't do that if you don't have size in the division. So I would definitely like to see some more extreme height and weight in AEW. We have extreme uh, lack of height and lack of weight in Marco Stunt. Let's 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 get the other side going because uh, I really just want to see like a Luke Harper destroy Marco Stunt. And just get him off my TV forever. <laughs> and there's my weekly hate on Marco's stunt. I feel like I always have to get one shot in. So, um, well, it wouldn't be a, an episode of the other wrestling show if, if you didn't take shots at, <laughs> at, at, at Scrappy Doo. So. so, oh God, I forgot we were calling Scrappy Doo. <laughs> um, but uh, anything else you want to say uh, about this episode before we briefly uh, go over what they have in store for us next week? No, let's jump right into it. Uh, I, we already talked about that uh, eight-man tag team match. Uh, what else have they got on the agenda? Yeah, so we, we're going to get a Britt Baker versus Yuka, Yuka Sakazaki uh, match, and I did some research. This is Yuka's first match with AEW since Fighter Fest, so this is kind of her re-debut, her first match on Dynamite. I honestly don't remember much from Fighter Fest. That feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but she does the uh, magical girl gimmick, right? Beats me. <laughs> I think so. I think she came out dressed kind of like a like a gin or a genie kind okay. of character. Oh and, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. You're right about that. I remember that. Now. I, I think, and and I could be wrong. I could be showing my ignorance here, but I think that that's a, a magical girl gimmick that she's nope, doing. I just I just pulled it up. That's 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 her. Yep, she has that look. Okay. Yeah, so uh, interested to see that, just a continuation of Britt, Beck, Britt Baker and her heel persona. And since we are recording this literally right after the show ended, the only other match announced so far is John Moxley versus Ortiz in a singles match, which that should be really fun. Get the, I think Santana is the better worker, but I think Moxley and Ortiz are the more physical uh, presence. So I'm curious to see how violent that match can be. And I might have missed it. Did they say Alabama wrestling legends next week? Like they did with the Memphis legends. They did, but they specifically said on air that they were going to be doing that for the live audience. Okay. So that's going to be during commercial breaks. They're going to do like some autograph signings and stuff before and possibly after the show. Um, But, but yeah, that's not going to be taking place on TV. And I think they probably got some blowback over the Memphis legends thing. And they did incorporate that into Dark. So if you watch the Dark from the the Tennessee show, actually, I think it was, they were actually in like Mississippi, I think. But yeah, near Memphis. Memphis. 
Um, so uh, yeah, so so that was actually on dark and not on dynamite. So you know, little, little nitpicks here and there, but I'm guessing they got some feedback from that, and that's why they specifically said for the live audience um, during the telecast. So yeah, um, so that's all that, that's mentioned. Um, I have a couple of random thoughts of the week, but was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Um, I was bored during the SCU uh, H2 match. I, I think that was just the crowd was dead. Another random match, and uh, which stinks because I like SCU, and they kind of teased some Dark Order stuff. You know, I liked how they're saying we're going to target your friends, your family, and your brothers from SCU. So curious to see how this goes. And I... It makes sense uh, if we're going to find out who the Supreme Leader is, because maybe we get Christopher Daniels' Supreme Leader's match at a Revolution or, or maybe closely thereafter. So liked the end of the uh, end of the segment. The match itself didn't really do anything for me. I kind of wrote, I'm bored. I enjoyed the match. Um, I always enjoy getting to see Angelico and Jack Evans. Um, I just think there's so much fun in the ring. And you know because it's a match that didn't have any consequence it ends up being a little bit of a of a, a down mood from the crowd and everyone's kind of looking forward to the main event at that point in the show you know this was kind of the, the seventh major segment that went on so you know there's a little bit of fatigue going on um but i did really enjoy it um th2 remind me a little bit of london and kendrick Jesus Christ! The way they move around, <laughs> and uh, particularly like Jack Evans reminds me of a young Brian Kendrick. I wrote that in my notes, you son of a bitch. I wrote that exact same thing down. <laughs> I know that Evans isn't young, but the way he moves, and, I, and also the fact that he's wearing like gym shorts, yeah, and that was what Kendrick used to wear when he was working with Paul London, um, and, and that was my favorite tag team for a long time. Um, and you know, they, they set the record for holding those belts, um, in the other wrestling company. So really, really fun. And I think that was something that kind of drew me into this match a little bit because I got a little bit of the nostalgia feels going on. And then I loved watching on Helico in Lucha Underground. So I'm just glad that I get to see him on TV and, uh, I really enjoy his style of wrestling. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get Sean O'Hare to convince, uh, Jack Evans to run around the stadium naked. A la 2003 Spanky. Um, I, I, it's, I can't believe you wrote that because I literally wrote the exact same thing. Jack Evans reminds me of early Brian Kendrick. That's get out of my head. Get out of my head. Um, but, well, that was one of my random observations of the week. Um, my other random observation of the week actually comes from the same match. So we'll keep it right here. Uh, Kazarian is the my career creator wrestler with no customizations. <laughs> You just want to get right into the game. You just want to boot it up and go. That's what you get. You get Frankie Kazarian. Yeah. Yeah. Not too muscular. Got to have a little height, but not too tall. Average height, average yep. weight, you know, shaved head. Yep. Grumpy expression. He definitely fits the shadow, like, uh, silhouette that they do when they yeah. don't know who's going to be in the match. From now on, it's just, it's Kazarian. It's going to be because it doesn't matter the company. Well, for the longest time in, in the other wrestling company, the, the silhouette, I swear to God, it was it was just Zack Ryder. And <laughs> they just they just took all of the color out and, and made a black silhouette, but I swear to God it was Zack Ryder. Woo, woo, woo. You know it. 
<sighs> wow, way to way to break my brain on two things in a row. Do you have one more? Make it a hat trick. <laughs> no, unfortunately, that's all I got. So, uh, wow, that's 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 disappointing. You know, you, everything got to go in threes, man. No, no. See, I'm breaking the rule of threes. Um, we're we're gonna gonna wrap things up. If if you like the show, support the show. Uh, please give us a rating. It really helps us out. We're a new show. Um, also, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we do have a social media and email, so check that out. We are on the Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else, too. So uh, engage with us, and uh, we'll get back in touch. And the best thing that you can do for us right now as a fledgling podcast is spread the word. If you like wrestling, if you know other people who like wrestling, if you enjoy the show, please tell other people to check us out. We would really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, you're getting our good graces if you do. So, um, But you can also email us at uh, theotherwrestlingshow at gmail.com. You have any questions, you want to know a little about us or what we got going on. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about more Dallas Cowboys stuff, I can, you know. I don't think Joel does, but everyone else could be interested in that. But uh, we really just want to keep the interactions going and, and kind of hear from uh, from our fans or listeners. I'd say listeners. I don't think anyone's actually going to be fans of us in particular, but yeah nice definitely not fans listeners <laughs> very listeners. charitable listeners at that yeah. so um and, and also uh i want to put out on the radar we are going to be recording some bonus episodes to kind of give some background so that these two disembodied voices that you're hearing from can get fleshed out a little bit more and uh, you can learn about our backgrounds in, in pro wrestling and, and how we came to be fans and, and what we are fans of. And also just some random stuff. So if you have ideas for episodes you would like to hear, um, let us know. Because we're going to be recording some bonus apps to put out in addition to our weekly recaps. And uh, keep an eye out for those also. All right, man. I think, uh, I think we can call a night. So thanks, guys. And we'll catch you here next week. Peace. Take it easy.